Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Praying Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. Now let's jump into this week's show. Thank you, Mr. Handsome Bald Man. Uh, <laughs> style it, man. Style it. Hey. High speed, low drag. See, he knows. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for inviting me out here. I don't do a lot of public speaking, as Jim mentioned. I mostly do writing. And that's a recent thing because I really hung up my stethoscope after 35 years of medicine. Wow. But, you know, it was time. I, I saw thousands of people healed, doctors and nurses and paramedics and patients, after being an atheist for 38 years of my life. Uh, the Lord has done some amazing transitions, and I'm just along for the ride. It's awesome. So it is a blessing to be able to speak to people in Arizona. Driving up here to Prescott's been great, and hanging out with Tom, the storyteller. Where did Tom go to? Oh, there he is. There he is. Worship leader? Yeah. What's your name? Kim? Kim. Do you have any kind of chronic pain? Yes. Is it by any chance neck or shoulder pain or anything? Or is it some... Shoulder, hips, legs, pretty much everything. Okay, so the Lord was showing me in worship that she's got pain. That's called a word of knowledge. <laughs> For those of you who are taking notes, I'm going to do a demonstration with you later on when, when we get into the session. At last... <laughs> All right. I have, a, I have a bunch of things I'd like to teach this morning. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus chooses the 12 disciples. What's the first thing he does after he chooses the disciples? He took them into a school of supernatural ministry for six weeks and taught them about healing and miracles, right? No. He said, yes. go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, yes. cast out demons, yes. cleanse the lepers, Proclaim the kingdom. So those are the things that he told the disciples to do. And guess what they did? They went out and they raised the dead, healed people, cast out demons, cleansed the lepers. They went out and just did the miracles without a whole lot of education. Actually, he said, I'm sending you out to the cities before me, the cities that I'm going to. You are going before me. They were forerunners. They had no training. <laughs> they came back and reported the miracles and that, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. We saw many miracles, all these great things. And the Lord said, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven, right? Okay. It was such a popular model of ministry. He sent out 70, Luke chapter 10. So he sends out the 70, same thing. Go out, heal the sick, cast out demons. That's kind of the model that the church is supposed to be, <laughs> at least in the Gospels. We have turned it into something else. We, we have. I mean, you know, we're, we're gathering in buildings on every weekend, and do people go out and get healed and get delivered of demons? And We're, we're changing that. 
this school yes. is training and equipping you guys to go and do that stuff yes. that Jesus told you to do, right? Yes. In this class, you're going to learn how to heal the sick, how to cast out demons. You will hopefully learn how to do emotional healing next semester. If you don't know much about that, you'll, you will learn. I will probably be coming back to do emotional healing. That's, physical healing is great, but what I've learned over the last few years is many times what we think it is a physical healing issue, it's actually an emotional healing issue. And when you get the emotional trauma healed, the neck pain and the back pain magically disappears. I've seen that a bunch of times. So here is, here's the big question. If Jesus said, those who believe in me will do the works that I do and greater works because I go to my Father, why aren't we doing the greater works? What are we missing? Well, here's what we're missing. Even in the charismatic and Pentecostal church, where we believe in the gifts of the Spirit and we believe in healing and miracles and we believe in deliverance, we have segmented our ministry into, well, she is a deliverance minister and she has an anointing for inner healing and she's really got a back pain anointing. And this person over here is really good with words of knowledge. Everybody has a specialty. It's not how it's supposed to be. Everyone should know how to cast out demons. Yes. Everyone should know how to do physical healing. Everyone should have a 10-minute program for emotional healing. I have one. I can teach it to you in 10 minutes, and you can teach it to your neighbor tomorrow. You don't have to take a 10-week class on emotional healing. It's very simple. The Lord showed it to me, and I use it in the ambulance. And I have 15 minutes on the way to the hospital, in addition to vitals and starting an IV, and I can get people emotionally healed in 10 minutes. There is no reason why y'all shouldn't be doing all of this stuff. Okay? That the problem is, the Lord has given us this workshop full of tools. We have walked over, found a hammer, and thought, I'm really good with this hammer. I don't need the screwdriver, the plier, the drill, the band. So I, I got my hammer, and that's all I need. I'm a hammer specialist. I'm going to hammer everything. And if your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So when people need healing and to be set free, if your only tool is deliverance, you are going to cast a demon out of every person, every cat, every brick, and every piece of pizza that you eat. There's demons in everything. I'm not saying demons aren't an issue, but if deliverance is the only thing you know how to do, you're going to not see a lot of people set free. If physical healing is the only thing you really know how to do, you're going to struggle. You'll get 40, 50, 60% of the people healed, and the other ones aren't going to get healed because they need deliverance, they need emotional healing, they need other things. What... I hope you learn in this school is to have a tool belt that has all kinds of tools on it and you learn the tool that's best for that particular situation. When Jesus went around healing people, he said, the son only does what he sees the father doing. The son of man who is in heaven. So he was on earth and in heaven, he was in communication with the Father at all times, one with the Father. 
And when he came upon a blind man, he said, Father, what are we going to do with this blind man? They're having the conversation up there. And the father says, take some spit, make some mud, put it in his eye. (laughs) And the son says, it's not what we did last time. And the father says, that's what we're doing this time. (laughs) (laughs) Next time, it'll be different. Next time, it'll be go wash in the pool. Time after that, it'll be go to the temple and show yourself to the priest. Different every time. Because Jesus was constantly in contact with the Father, knew the mind of the Father, and knew specifically what to do in each case. Which requires revelatory gifts, words of knowledge. So we're in worship, and the Lord shows me a picture of her, and he shows me a word in my mind that says neck pain. It's that simple. He didn't show me how to get her healed yet. That's coming. But he's already showing me who and what. I'm going to have you come over here and sit in this chair for a minute, if I could, so everyone can see you a little bit better. Uh, actually, what I'll do is, if it's all right, I'm going to do these. It should come apart. Yeah, there we go. I'm going to have you sit here. So we know she's got, you have neck, back, and shoulder pain? Shoulder, hips, knees. Do you have fibromyalgia? That was one diagnosis. That's the other word that I saw. (laughs) Um, So the Lord showed me neck pain, and then I saw the word fibromyalgia. Look, anyone can do this stuff. I'm just in worship. I have my eyes closed, and the Lord shows me just this image of her with the little tinted hair and everything and the red shirt, and then I just saw two words in my mind, neck pain and fibromyalgia. So... If you're going to get her healed, there are multiple ways that you can do this, but it generally requires some very specific things. Let me talk about power real quick. Power is energy. You grab onto a high voltage power line and you're going to feel a whole lot of energy going through you. Lots of voltage and lots of amperage. Power is energy. Energy is power. And we use power to heal sickness and disease. Okay? So do Reiki healers. Okay? Energy workers. Here's the thing. Power and energy throughout our universe, everyone has access to it. Not just Christians. So how do... When Jesus said... They, they will do lying signs and wonders. How do people do lying signs and wonders? They're using power to show miracles, signs, and wonders, but they're doing it for the kingdom of darkness. Because the kingdom of darkness has access to power. So do we. So Jesus said, Acts chapter 1, after he was resurrected, ready to go ascend into heaven, he said, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be endued with power from on high. And you will be witnesses to me, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth. So the Spirit of God, same Spirit that created the universe, lives in us. We have unlimited access to power. That power can do creative miracles. 
So if she has no eardrum and she's deaf, I can do a creative miracle using power and create a new eardrum. It's done in the spiritual world. The spiritual world is the origin of everything in the natural. The world did not exist until God spoke it into existence. From the realm of heaven, the physical world came into existence. Creative miracles work the same way. If she doesn't have a kidney and she needs a new one, your spirit creates a new one using the power of God. And you speak a new kidney into existence or a new eardrum. So that's a creative miracle. And that's how power works. I'm essentially like a large pipeline. Power flows through me. When I put my hands on people and I'm praying for them, many times I can feel the energy, the power coming out of me, either cold or heat or something of that nature. It'll happen to most of you too. Now, I don't feel, my hands don't ever get warm when I pray for people. Some people do. They feel energy. They feel power in their hands. I don't, but it doesn't matter. The power is just as real. Essentially, what I want to do, if I'm going to use power to heal her, is I'm going to simply be a gateway where the power of the Holy Spirit is flowing through me, and I'm just consciously aware that I'm, you know, Holy Spirit, let your power flow through me. I just want to be a conduit of power like a garden hose that's watering the grass. That's all it is. Power flowing through me. I could put my hand by her neck and... It's very likely that there's power flowing out of me right now as I'm talking. I'm not even thinking about anything other than what I'm telling you. So this is a release of power. Now, if I close my eyes, I might see a swirling black vortex right here on her shoulder. There's a, when there's a spirit involved, a demon, quite often a spirit of pain, because spirits specialize, so there's spirits of lust spirits of witchcraft, spirits of pain, spirits of whatever. If I see a swirling black vortex, now this is how the Lord shows it to me, but he shows it to everybody different. If I see a swirling black thing, that tells me that there's a spirit there. So I'm not going to use power because power doesn't work on demons. I'm going to use authority. Okay? Authority is used to command spirits to leave. Demons will leave in the authority of the name of Jesus. So if I see some indication that there's an evil spirit there, I'm going to use the authority over that spirit and command it to leave. Pretty clear? Amen. Right. Difference between power and authority. My next book in the Made Simple series is going to be Power and Authority Made Simple. And this is the kind of thing I'm going to be teaching on. Tom Schermitzler got healed last night of sciatic nerve pain in the glory, in the presence of God. We're worshiping. The glory was so thick, you could feel it. I could feel it. Everyone felt God's presence there. Nobody touched him. Nobody commanded a demon to leave him. No one released power. The presence of God showed up, and bam, he was healed. Just like that. Sovereign miracle. Okay. The presence of God can heal people without you doing anything. When we were in Australia, we were ministering to the homeless. 
we set up, we were setting up tables and putting out tea and, and some food for them. And as I was standing there setting things up, this fellow was standing next to me. I didn't know this, but he had a toothache. We, we've been offering prayer for people to be healed. So while he's standing there, a sovereign miracle happens. His toothache is healed just by standing next to me. I didn't do anything. I wasn't aware of it. He testifies that as soon as we showed up and he came over and stood next to me, he said, I could feel something coming off of you, something like energy or power, and my toothache was gone, completely gone. We are carriers of God's presence. And his presence can heal people. So when I'm praying for people, I start to go through this little process. Lord, bring your presence. Bring your presence, bring your glory. Let your presence rest upon them. This is especially good for non-believers. And I'll tell you why. I had a dream a few years ago. It was shortly after I moved here, actually. And in the dream, I was in the emergency department of a hospital. And I was praying for a doctor, a small child. There was three people. I forget who the other one was. That doctor had an elbow problem, and the kid had some kind of viral or bacterial infection. So I was praying for each of them to be healed. I was aware in the dream that healing was secondary. The primary thing that the Lord wanted me to do was to introduce them to his presence. So in the dream, I was asking the Lord, bring your presence. Let them feel your glory. Let them feel your presence. Now, here's why this is important. I've prayed for people in the ambulance, and they weren't physically healed. But they felt his presence. <laughs> I had this young guy that I transported who was having, he was having a heart attack. He's having chest pain. And he was in the emergency department. He was freaking out. He was so afraid of having bypass surgery that he actually told the nurse in the ER he wasn't having chest pain. His wife ratted him out. When I showed up to transfer him, so we showed up to transfer him to another hospital to, get, to go to the cath lab. I said, okay, how bad is your chest pain? He goes, I'm not having any. And his wife looks at him and goes, don't tell him that. You sent me a text message saying you're having chest pain. Why are you lying to him? And he goes, okay, I am having chest pain. <laughs> I'm just freaked out, man. He goes, I'm so afraid. If I, I know I don't want to go through the heart surgery and all this. So he was freaking out. Enough that he didn't want, he was lying about having chest pain. So we get him in the ambulance. And, uh, you know, I get his vitals, get his EKG and everything. And then I said, hey, man, can I pray for you? He's like, yeah, that'd be great. So I pray for him. And whammo, the presence of God hits him. And he is all fear, all of his anxiety, completely gone. He's like, wow, man, I feel so at peace. I just feel the love of God. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> no worship band or anything. It was awesome. But the, the presence came in the ambulance and just rested upon him, took away all his fear and anxiety, and he knew that God was with him. Now, I don't know what happened to him at the, at the hospital when we dropped him off at the cath lab, but he had an encounter with God in the ambulance. The presence and the glory of God is a very powerful thing. Whether you get physically healed or not, if you don't know God and some person prays for you and this peace and this sense of well-being and love, overwhelming love, captivates you, it's going to change your life.
There are many different tools we can use for healing and for evangelism. I mean, it's power evangelism. It's, we're trying to get people healed, set free of demons, and we want to introduce them to the Lord. The Lord told me, basically, he said, look, do the introduction, introduce them to me, and I'll take it from there. I'm a big boy, I can handle this. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get too stressed out about evangelizing people, especially in healthcare. It's kind of taboo. But healthcare is all about healing. And if you are just about healing people, it's hard for anyone to argue against that. I want to get her neck and back pain and stuff healed, but there are other things that the Lord may want to do. What if she, unbeknownst to me, is worried about her finances? And what if the Lord has a plan to bring her some financial blessing that she doesn't know about yet? And the Lord gives me a prophetic word about her finances and her business and stop worrying about the courts and the legal action because he's going to wipe that all out. So just don't freak out about it. So prophecy. What if she has emotional trauma? What if she was abused as a child? What if she has been physically and emotionally abused? And all those emotional wounds have caused her to have altars and fragments which are then being attacked by demons. And so she's hearing voices all the time and she's depressed and she's got bipolar and PTSD. I don't know any of that, but the Lord can reveal it or we can do it in the interview. So prophecy, emotional healing, power, authority. Are you seeing how many tools we have access to? And they all work together in the ministry dynamic. You should let the Lord lead you one by one into the different things he wants to minister to. We're in such a hurry. We're like, oh, I got to go pray for somebody else. You know, I only got two minutes here. Well, what the Lord may want to do with this person might take 20 minutes. We cannot be in a hurry. We have to allow the Lord time to do what he wants to do. All right. So is this sinking in? I haven't even started with the scriptures yet. I'm about to get biblical on you, so hang on. <laughs> I, I did this because I just wanted to illustrate the various modalities, treatments, protocols, whatever you want to call them, that we can use for ministry. And, and I haven't even got to the end of the list yet because now I'm going to talk about a new one to, for some of you. In 2010, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was with two of my very good friends, and we were being picked up physically and translocated to different places around the United States. We would go there, we would be told things and experience things, and then we would get together and compare and like notes about what we were told and what happened. And then we would be picked up as a group and move someplace else. And then we'd have our little experience and be picked up and moved someplace else. One of the places I went was Boston. I actually went to Fenway Park to watch a baseball game. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That was my first revelation about traveling in the Spirit. I had no understanding of traveling in the Spirit up until 2010. The Lord gave me that dream, and I was like, what in the world does this mean? So then I started 
connecting with people who've actually done this stuff. And there's a lot more of them than you might imagine. And most of you have probably traveled in the spirit and didn't know it, at least during dreams or in visions or in worship. If you've ever seen the throne room of God, you've traveled in the spirit. You may think it's just something I saw in my mind, but you probably actually traveled there. So I'm going to just finish up with her. Holy Spirit, bring your presence. Bring your glory, Lord. Bring your presence. Now, I can feel his presence showing up because when it happens, I start to sway back and forth. That's just how it affects me. It affects everybody differently. My wife feels like she's got a weight pushing her down. For me, I sway back and forth. It's just everyone's sensitive to the presence of God in a little different way. Lord, bring your presence. Lord, bring your glory. Now, I'm not seeing a spirit, but I'm going to command spirits of pain to leave anyway, just in case they're there and I, and I may be missing them. So, spirit of pain, I command you to leave in the Jesus name. All spirits, I command you to get out now in Jesus' name. Next, I go for structures in the body. Muscles, ligaments, nerves, tendons, and bones be healed. Discs be healed. So I have my hand on her back and shoulder, and I'm releasing power, commanding spirits to leave, speaking to specific parts of her body and commanding them to be healed. So bones and ligaments, nerves, tendons, muscles, everything, blood vessels be healed. If you want to get a Gray's Anatomy textbook, <laughs> it's up to you. I had to learn this stuff. Discs, nerves, muscles, and bones be healed. So fibromyalgia, they don't know what causes it. But a common cause of chronic pain in the body is inflammation. Uh, bronchitis, pericarditis, arthritis, anything that ends in itis is an inflammatory disease. You've probably had someone say, oh, maybe you have rheumatoid arthritis. It's all inflammatory. Actually, they found out that heart disease is inflammatory too. Pancreatitis, it's all inflammatory. So I always command inflammation to go. Inflammation, I command you to go. Get out right now. Kim, are you feeling anything different? Um, just the presence, just heavy weight. Okay, okay. All right, Lord, bring your presence. I command neck and hips and back and shoulder, all joints be healed, connective tissue be healed, emotional trauma. Jesus, I ask you to identify any emotional trauma, heal any altars and fragments, and let them be integrated. All right, Jesus, do your thing. Emotional trauma, be healed. Alters and fragments be integrated. All right, how are you feeling? Okay. Keep breathing. You're doing good. 
Every unclean spirit, I command you to get out right now in Jesus' name. Get out now. Every unclean spirit, I command you to go. There is a spirit. Um, if you see in the spirit much, it's often, it looks like a serpent, usually a big boa constrictor. It will wrap around people's um, lungs and try to squeeze them so they can't breathe before it leaves. That's usually what it does. It's just trying to intimidate her. I command you to get out right now. Get out right now. Get out right now. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Get out now. All right, Kim, I'm going to have you go. You can go sit over there. Thank you for being a really good patient. All right. She's going to be okay. All right. So there is another tool I want to talk to you about. But first, I would like to talk about traveling in the spirit because in order to use the next tool, which is the court of heaven, you have to understand a little bit about traveling in the spirit. If I was making no progress with her, the next thing I would do is I would go to the court of heaven and find out if there was an accuser there that had something against her that was causing this to remain. I'll talk about that in a minute. Let me, let me just give you some biblical background of where we're going with this. The Bible says in Ephesians, those in Christ have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1, 3. God made us alive together with Christ and has seated us in heavenly places. Ephesians 2, 5 through 6. The wisdom of God is manifested by us, the church, to the principalities and powers of darkness in the heavenly places. And we wage war against all the various powers of darkness in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6, 12. The whole book of Ephesians is like a strategy manual for spiritual warfare. There's a lot of good revelation about spiritual warfare, but what I've noticed is a lot of this refers to doing warfare in the heavenly places. For years, we've been down here on earth aiming our guns up into the atmosphere above us, trying to shoot at the principalities and powers of darkness. And they're above us. Probably a better strategy is for us to go into the throne room, for us to go into the heavenly realms and, and do our warfare from there, yes. where we're above them, where we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. To give you an example of that, many times when I'm praying for someone to be healed of cancer, and I rarely see this with anything except cancer, and I'm not teaching this as a doctrine. This is something the Lord showed me. He may show you something else. Many times when I'm praying for cancer, when I have my eyes closed, I'll see in my mind a throne. And the first time I saw it, I thought, well, what does that mean? And he said, you're seated with me in heavenly places on a throne. So he said, act like a king. Amen. Or an emperor. 
because an emperor is a king of kings. And Jesus is an emperor. He is the king of kings, lord of lords. All right. He is the emperor, but we can operate and function in the same things that he functions in. So if you look in the Old Testament, you'll learn that kings would take their troops and go out to battle in the spring and do fight wars. But if you know anything about emperors, emperors don't go and do battle. Emperors stay on their throne and they make decrees. And those who serve the emperors make their decrees come to pass. Emperors don't engage the enemy. They stay on their throne. So what the Lord showed me was when I show you a throne, I don't want you engaging in warfare or even engage using releasing power or using authority. I want you to simply make a decree and let it go. Nothing else. So I started doing that. When I would see a throne, typically when I was praying for cancer, I would simply declare when this person goes to the doctor and has their next scan, they're going to be healed. That's it. Done. Most of the people that I've prayed for that way have cancer, have been healed. It's very similar to when Jesus told the paralytic, pick up your mat and walk. Did he touch him? Did he release power? Did he cast out a demon? He gave him a command which he could not obey unless he was healed. Okay? So he simply said, pick up your mat and walk. And in order for that command to happen, he had to be healed. So he got healed, picks up his mat and starts walking. It's making a declaration about what is going to happen. Calling the things which are not as if they are. When I do that and I see the throne, I believe my spirit is actually on that throne making a declaration, traveling in the spirit. Even though I'm just sitting at my computer desk and I don't sense like my spirit has left my body, what I've come to learn is there's a dynamic there where I'm actually operating from my seat in heaven. That's where I'm operating from in that situation. All right. Biblical basis for traveling in the spirit. I'm going to give you, we're just going to go through some Old Testament and some New Testament scriptures. 1 Kings 18, 11 and 12. Interesting story here. So Elijah meets Obadiah on the road. And Elijah tells Obadiah, go tell Ahab where I am. And Obadiah says, you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I'm gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will pick you up and carry you to a place I do not know. So when Ahab comes and finds you not there, he's going to kill me. <laughs> Obadiah's like, I ain't falling for that. Uh, I, I see where you are now. I don't know where you're going to be 10 minutes from now because you're going to get picked up and the Lord's going to move you someplace. And it, I'm not buying into that. All right. 2 Kings 5, interesting story. This is a story about Naaman, the Syrian general, when he had leprosy and got healed. 
So Naaman comes down with leprosy, and he wants to be healed. Elisha volunteers to heal him. But he doesn't do it the way Naaman wanted it to be done. So Elisha goes with his servant Gehazi. Elisha says to Gehazi, go tell Naaman to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Now, the first thing that Naaman doesn't like is he has to go to the Jordan. He goes, we have much better rivers here in Syria. Why do I have to go to the Jordan? And he puts up a little hissy fit, and his servants say, look, if he told you to do some great thing, you would do it. Why don't you just go dip in the river and get over yourself? So he does, dips in the river seven times, and his leprosy is healed. So he's grateful. He offers Elisha silver and fine clothing, and Elisha says, I'm good. I'm not in this for the money. Goes home. Gehazi follows Naaman along in his chariot and says, if you got some silver and some clothes, I could use some. I'm not like Elisha. I'm kind of a mercenary. So Gehazi takes the silver and the clothing, stashes it, and then goes back to the house of Elisha. Gets there, Elisha says, hey Gehazi, what you been up to? (laughs) Gehazi lies to him and says, I haven't been anywhere. Verse 26, Elisha says, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? The Hebrew word heart is the word lave, which actually means inner man or spirit. The saying is, don't you realize my spirit followed you when you went and met with Naaman? I saw you take this stuff. I know where you put it. I was following you the whole time. Another story concerning Elisha, the next chapter. So this is 2 Kings chapter 6. Syria and Israel are at war. And somehow the Israelite king seems to know where the troop placements are of the Syrian army. The intelligence they have is so accurate, the king of Syria suspects there's a traitor or a spy. So he asks his servant, who is the traitor? And the servant says, There is no traitor. The prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. It's verse 12. So how did Elisha know the words that the king was speaking in his bedroom in secret? Well, we already know he was following Gehazi around. (laughs) So maybe he was traveling in the spirit to the Syrian king's bedchambers, eavesdropping on the conversations, hearing what was going on, and then coming back and telling the Israelite, the king of Israel, what was going on. Just a theory. Ezekiel was a mystic of the Old Testament, and he was being picked up and carried all over the place. So Ezekiel chapter 3 is just one example. The Israelites are in captivity. The Lord has a word of encouragement he wants Ezekiel to give to the Israelites, to the captives. Verses 14 and 15 The Spirit of the Lord lifted me up and took me away. In the King James, it says, pick me up by the lock of my hair. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Being dragged by your hair halfway across Asia. I went in bitterness and turmoil, but the Lord's hold upon me was strong. Then I came to the colony of Judean exiles, and I was overwhelmed, and I sat among them for seven days. And then he went back. Uh, A very similar account is found in chapter 8, and another one in chapter 40, if you're taking notes. 
One of my favorite passages in the New Testament, John chapter 6. I'm just, no backstory, I'm just going to read it. Other than to tell you, the Sea of Galilee is nine miles across. Now, when evening came, the disciples went down to the sea into the boat, and they went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. When the sea, then the sea arose, and a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, Do not be afraid, it is I. So they gladly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land where they were going. They rowed three or four miles, so they're in the middle of the sea. He gets in the boat, and immediately the whole group of disciples were translocated supernaturally five, six miles, which is interesting because the very first dream I had about spiritual travel, me and my friends were traveling as a group. Really well-known verse, Acts chapter 8, verses 38 through 40. There's this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's in a chariot, and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. And the Lord says to him, go catch up to the eunuch and join yourself with him. So he does, and Philip says to the eunuch, do you understand who you're reading about? And he says, no, I don't understand. Who am I, who is he speaking of? And so Philip says he's speaking about the Messiah, who has already come. And the eunuch becomes a believer and says, hey, can I be baptized? So, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water. He baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. But he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip was found at Azotus. Passing through, he preached at all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So Philip, supernaturally transported, dropped off. Which brings us to the book of Revelation. If it were not for our ability to travel into and perceive things in the spiritual world, we wouldn't have the book of Revelation. Almost the entire book, except for chapters 2 and 3, which are the letters to the churches of Asia. And you could argue that those were also revelation that John received in the spiritual dimension. But it says in the beginning, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. The way that that Greek phrase is constructed literally means my primary experience was of the spiritual world. His physical body, mind, he was not aware of what was going on in, in the natural world. Everything, all of his focus was on the spiritual world, the heavenly realms. So what happens? Goes up into the heaven, sees the lightning, hears the thunder, sees the seven spirits of God, the creatures with the eyes all around them, the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. He sees the beasts. He sees the men in white linen. All of that revelation as he's traveling in the spiritual world. Almost the entire book of Revelation. Chapter 4 is the invitation. After these things I looked, and behold, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like a trumpet, was speaking to me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things that must take place after this. So there John is, looks up and sees a portal. 
not the kind they have up in Sedona. Come on. <laughs> That's an energy portal, and that ain't going to get you anywhere. But a portal is an opening between two dimensions. It's a window or a doorway. And John says, I saw a door open in heaven. It's a door between the earth realm and the heavenly realm. And the voice said, come up here. Now, unlike Ezekiel and Philip, where the Lord sovereignly picked them up and moved them, this voice said, I want you to exercise your will and come up here. I want to show you some things. But if you don't come up here, you don't get to see them. Book of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Amen. Let us come there. The Lord is not going to drag you up into the heavenly realms. It's an invitation. Amen. You can come boldly before the throne. There is a door open in heaven. You can go through it and go up there and hang out with the Lord. And I would recommend you do it. <laughs> there are many ways in which you can perceive the heavenly realms. I tend to be mostly a visual person. So I see things in my mind. Uh, angels. Um, I see the Lord. I see the river of life. I see the throne. I see those things in my mind. A lot of people experience the spiritual realm through... Um, thought impressions in their mind. They hear the voice of the Lord. They hear the waters. They hear clanging of swords. They hear angelic voices. They hear demonic voices. So some people experience the spiritual world through, mostly through hearing. Some people experience it through their emotions. Mike Parsons is a really good teacher on this. Mike says that sometimes when he is in the spiritual realm, he won't see anything and he won't hear anything. But he will sense in his spirit the presence of an angel standing in front of him. He says, I don't know any other way to tell you that I'm standing in front of an angel other than I can, in my spirit, I can sense angelic presence. Some people are very good at that. When, an, when there's an angel standing right here and he's been there for three hours, you walk all over, I'm saying, whoa, what was that? <laughs> there's something there. You just sense the angelic presence. There are many different ways that you can sense the spiritual world and the realms of heaven. Uh, I have a, a bunch of friends on Facebook, and we have a group, it's called Prophetic Feelers. These people, they, sometimes they're called empaths because they feel the emotions of other people. They walk in a room, and they can read your emotions. They know, oh, you've got sadness, and you've got depression, and oh, you're feeling overwhelmed. They just pick up on other people's emotions. They'll be driving through a town and they will feel a massive burden of oppression in that town and they'll park the car and they'll get out and they'll start interceding for a few hours until the emotions lift and then they keep driving. I have had this happen to me in the ambulance a few times when I've been transporting uh, like a homeless person and I'll be sitting there writing my report and charting vital signs and I'll have this overwhelming sense of brokenheartedness. It just comes over me and just crushes me. And I, I didn't understand it at first. What the Lord showed me is, I'm showing you my heart for that person. I want you to pray for them. 
So the Lord can speak to us through emotions, through visions, through hearing. There's many different senses and ways we can experience the spiritual world. Have I lost anybody? All right. I'm going to give you just a make-believe scenario. Imagine that you have a neighbor. Their house gets broken into and their TV gets stolen. And for whatever reason, they decide you're the one who did it. So they call the police. The police come to their house. They fill out a criminal report. And the police will come and take a statement from you. They may or may not arrest you. They may just tell you you're going to have, an, you have to appear in court to defend yourself. So the summons comes from the court, and now there's a court date set where you have an opportunity to efface your accuser. If you go to court and face your accuser, you can tell your story, and you can hear the judge bang the gavel, not guilty. That's what you want, right? Because you didn't do it in the first place. What happens if you don't show up in court? The judge issues a bench warrant if you don't show up in court, and the next time you get stopped for speeding, the police are going to take your driver's license, run a check for warrants. They're going to see an outstanding warrant. They're going to slap the handcuffs on you and take you to jail, and you're going to appear in court. Because whether you're innocent or guilty, you have to appear in court. You don't have a choice. You have to go there and defend yourself, hopefully be exonerated. But you have to appear in court. You don't have a choice unless you want to just be a fugitive and be on the run from the law, which is how some people choose to live. Many times when the will of God for our lives is being obstructed, it's because there is an accusation against us by an evil spirit in heaven. So I'm going to give you an example of what it looks like. We're going to go to Zechariah 3. And we're going to park there for a little while. I'm just going to teach you from Zechariah 3. I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. And I'll give you a little backstory. So Zechariah is a prophet. Joshua is the high priest. Joshua is being accused by Satan. So Joshua does the smart thing. He actually goes up into the heavens to face his accuser. Zechariah goes along as a witness to write down what happened. Okay, that's the backstory. So, verse 1. Then the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. There's two angels. The first angel showed Zechariah Joshua. And Joshua is standing in front of the angel of the Lord. You're going to find out in a minute this is Jesus. So, the, the accuser, Satan was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Joshua. And the Lord, this is the angel of the Lord, but now he turns into the Lord, says, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, I, the Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. I think this is from the New Living Translation. He's being accused by Satan. Notice Joshua doesn't defend himself. He doesn't address the accusation. He doesn't defend himself. The Lord is his defense. The Lord is his attorney. 1 John 2, verse 1. My children, I write to you that you would not sin. But if you sin, 
you have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus the righteous. That word advocate is the word attorney. So when we sin and when the enemy accuses us, we have an attorney who can represent us. Going to the next verse, verse 3. Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, Take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Joshua, he said, See, I have taken away your sin, and now I'm giving you these new fine clothes. So Satan is accusing him of the sin that's represented by his dirty clothing, and he's guilty. The Lord rebukes Satan and takes away Joshua's sin, and that is symbolized by new clothing. The Lord exonerates him of the charges. He's been washed clean and made righteous. When someone's life is being messed up by Satan or an evil spirit. It's usually because there is some little thing going on in our life. Many times we're not aware of it. Sometimes we are aware of it, but many times we're not. If you're praying for someone to be healed or you're praying to bless someone's finances or someone says, I can't get breakthrough in my finances. I can't get breakthrough on this job. I've got six prophetic words that are all saying, I'm going to get this job and no matter what I do, I can't get the job. If the will of God is being obstructed by your, in your life, there's, it's possible that it's being obstructed by an accuser who has something against you, and he is opposing the will of God. And the way you do that is you go to the court of heaven, find out who the accuser is, what the accusation is, and get it dealt with. So let me give you an example. The first time that I did this, I didn't intentionally do it. It kind of happened by accident. I had a, a viral infection. I was sick for four days. I had hundreds of people praying for me, and I wasn't getting any better. I was getting worse, actually. I was miserable. And the fourth night, I went to sleep, laid down, put my head on the pillow, closed my eyes, and in my mind, I saw something like a bookshelf of law books in my mind. And I said to Denise, why do I see a bunch of law books on a shelf. And then as I focused on that, I could start to see candles like menorahs, and then I saw a table, and I saw what looked like a courtroom. And I said, Denise, it looks like I'm seeing a courtroom. And I had been learning about the courts of heaven at that point. I had never been there, didn't really even know if I believed in this junk. <laughs> but now the Lord was showing me a court. Oh, by the way, this was in 2013, I think. In 2010, I had my first awareness of the courts of heaven. In a dream, I received what I could only call something like a subpoena. In this dream, I received a document, and, the, and I was living in Olympia, Washington at the time. I received this document, and the document basically said, the court of heaven issues a decree that information must be revealed to the saints about their assignments and about their calling. And it pertains to information that the enemy had been hiding from us that now had to be revealed. If it pertained to our geographic location and our assignment and calling, the enemy was going to be forced to reveal it to us. And in the dream, two well-known apostles talked about, saw my document, and signed it and to verify it was accurate. 
That was the first time I was even aware of the courts of heaven. I got this document from court of heaven. That's where it came from. This has been a, a walk for me to figure this out. If you're interested in seeing a little bit what the courts of heaven look like, it's quite a bit of it portrayed in little scenes in the Old Testament. I really like Daniel chapter 7. So in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel is having a series of visions, night visions, where he sees all these beasts. One like this great beast that has a mixture of iron and clay and the leopard, and he sees the beast that speaks pompous words and the beast with horns. He's seeing all these beasts. The vision, as it progresses, then turns to something that's going on in heaven. Actually, the whole thing may have been going on in heaven. He then sees a fiery throne, flames coming out from it, a fiery river. The Ancient of Days is seated on it. Then one like the Son of Man is brought to the Ancient of Days. And then it says, the court was seated and the books were opened. That's an illustration of what what we're going to be talking about here. When I had this fever and I saw in my mind what looked like a courtroom, I had, I had a little bit of information because I had been listening to some messages. And I knew if you're in the court, you need to have your accuser and you need to hear what the accusation is. So I asked for my accuser to be present and I saw something that literally looked like a, like a rolling ball of dirt. This swirling ball of dirt came up and appeared next to me to the right. And as I looked at it in my mind, it was to the right of me, I saw all these accusations. Murderer, adulterer, liar. So what do you do when you're being accused in the court of heaven? Well, Joshua didn't dispute and didn't argue with his accuser, right? Matthew 5, verse 26 says, Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest he turn you over to the judge who hands you over to the bailiff and you be thrown in prison. So what Jesus was teaching there is don't dispute your adversary or your accuser. Agree with them. So well, I saw the accusations and, you know, I thought, I haven't actually murdered anybody this week. <laughs> but Jesus said, if you hate someone in your heart, you've mur- you're guilty of murder, right? So the accusations are generally true in some sense. So it's not even worth it to dispute or, or try to argue against them. So I said, okay, Your Honor, I'm guilty as charged. But the blood of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world has cleansed me of all unrighteousness, removed my sin. I know that. I know a little bit of the Bible. I remember Graham Cook going to the court of heaven the first time, and he didn't know what to do. And he was standing there in front of this table, and he, he was like, Jesus, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And an angel comes up to Graham and whispers in his ear, ask for the books to be open. Daniel 7. So Graham Cook says, okay, I asked for the books to be open. So that's what I did. I said, uh, Your Honor, I'd like the books to be open. So I see an angel go. He grabs this book, brings it over, sits it on the table in front of me and opens it. If you see a book and when you're doing this, it usually is a bunch of accusations against you. You don't necessarily have to have the book there. Sometimes when you appear there, the book will already be there. 
So you can ask for it to come if you want. All it is doing is it's going to reveal the accusations against you. That's all it is. Many people, when they go there, a demon or a multitude of demons will appear and they will be accusing you. Do not be freaked out by what you see. We were doing this last night with a woman and she saw a bunch of clansmen wearing white hoods and they were doing some hideous things and she saw this in her mind in a vision. A couple nights ago, we were doing it with a woman. She saw witches wearing all kinds of crazy garb and they were in this courtroom. So one had a history of witchcraft in her family. The other one had a history of the, the clan and white supremacy. And these were legal things in her family that the enemy was using against her, both of them. One woman said she saw a bus, like a school bus, and it was packed with demons, and they were all screaming and accusing her. Jesus was standing outside, slammed the door shut, and the bus took off. So you may see anything. Normally, most people will see a demon or two or three or four, and they'll be over there accusing and you know, saying bad things about you. Don't, don't be cons- too concerned or freaked out about what you see or what you hear. You may only just hear it. You may not even see anything. But it appears different for everybody. But generally speaking, you're going to have someone, some things there accusing you. Just realize they're going to have accusations. If you want, you can write them down because there may be things in there you need to repent of. So if you hear the accusation and it involves something like witchcraft or Freemasonry, repent of it, renounce agreements with it, release responsibility for your ancestors who got you and your family involved in this stuff, forgive them. Okay, all that stuff is helpful. In my case, I saw the book and when I asked, when I said, I, the blood of Jesus cleanses me of all unrighteousness and makes me, it wipes away my sin. What happened was I saw, I saw the book there and then like that, all the writing in the book was gone. It just disappeared. It was gone. I've been there to the court for other people, seen their book, and I've literally seen blood being poured on it and then the words were erased. I talked to a woman who I was doing deliverance This is kind of interesting. She knew nothing about the courts of heaven. And I wasn't planning on going there. But I was trying to get rid of this demon that was manifesting on her. And nothing was working. So I thought, let's go to the court of heaven. So she saw uh, this demon there. She saw Jesus. She saw the judge. And the demon is running his mouth over here, accusing her of stuff. I said, what do you see? And she said, I see a book. I've seen this book before. I said, when did you see it? And she said, six, seven, eight months ago, I had a dream and Jesus had this book and it had accusations against me in this book. There's five accusations and I saw them all. So in the court of heaven, she sees the same book with the same accusations and she agreed with the accuser allowed the blood of Jesus to be her defense, and she said, what I saw was Jesus walked over, he had blood on his thumb. He took his thumb and blotted out all of the accusations against me in the book. (laughs) All right. How Jesus will literally remove your sin can look like anything. Many times, as soon as you say, I stand under the blood of Jesus, the judge will hammer his gavel and go, not guilty. 
And that means the, rent, the judgment of uh, heaven has been rendered. Now, sometimes you will get a scroll that has the decree of the judge written on it. You can ask for one if you want one. The scrolls. In Ezekiel 3, the chapter opens, and the Lord tells Ezekiel, Son of man, take the scroll and eat it. So in Revelation, John receives a scroll, and the Lord says, eat it. It'll be sweet in your mouth, but bitter in your stomach. So there's many places in the scriptures where the Lord tells people to eat the scroll. If the Lord tells you to eat the scroll, or what I often do is I'll just take it and make a prophetic act and just put it inside my spirit. The scroll is the revelation of heaven. It is a decree of heaven. It has the power to change your life. It's intended to become a part of your spiritual DNA. That's why the Lord tells you to eat it. It becomes a part of you. It changes your DNA, your spiritual DNA. It's like taking communion. It's something like that. It's, you're becoming one with the revelation of God. So if you go there and don't receive a scroll, don't panic. If you go there and you want to receive a scroll, ask for one. Sometimes their judge will just give you one. I know a young guy who doesn't know anything about this stuff. He accidentally read my book because his dad bought my book and he was curious. He started reading, got to the courts of heaven and thought, if I can do this, I'm going to do it. He didn't know anything. So he goes there and he's got some legal issues going on. So he makes a petition in the court. He does not dispute the accusation. He covers himself under the blood. The judge calls him to, says not guilty, calls him to the bench and writes out a scroll. And he hands it to the kid. And the kid says, what am I supposed to do with it? And the judge says, I want you to go over and read it to your accuser. Read him what I wrote, because I want him to know that he has been judged. He needs to leave you alone. So the kid goes over and reads the scroll to the demon, and the demon's hauled off. The second time he went there, similar thing happened. Accuser appeared. He didn't dispute. He agreed with the accusation. He covered himself under the blood. Not guilty. The judge calls him to the bench. He writes out another scroll, and the kid says, do I need to read this? And the judge says, no, I want you to take it to the court of scribes. So he's just obedient. He has childlike faith. He, in his mind, leaves the courtroom, finds himself in a place where there's scribes and they're writing and there's scrolls and libraries and stuff. Hands his scroll to one of the scribes. The scribe takes it, makes a duplicate copy, keeps it, and then hands the original back to him. And the kid says, what do I do now? And the scribe says, take it to the court of angels and get some help. Childlike faith, in his mind, he goes to another room, sees this huge door, opens the door and goes in. It's full of angels. He holds up his scroll and says, I need some help with this. 15 foot tall angel comes forward, has a huge sword on its belt and says, I'm going to help you. Four smaller angels come in behind the large one and the five of them leave the courtroom with him. This is a kid who's like 21 years old and doesn't know half of the stuff you guys know, but he has childlike faith. Okay? You can go there for many different things. You can go there for health things. 
if I'm, when I'm praying for someone, like I said, I was doing, trying to do emotional healing and deliverance on this woman, and nothing was working. So I tried my hammer, I tried my screwdriver, the drill was not working, and I thought, okay, I have another tool. I'm just going to go to the court of heaven and see if we can find out what's going on. It's another tool. So if you're praying for someone and you've, power isn't working and authority doesn't seem to be working and that you can feel the glory and they have no emotional trauma, you might just say, okay, in your mind, all right, I need to talk to the judge. <laughs> is there an accuser? What is the accusation? This can happen literally in 30 seconds. It's not rocket science. By the time you've done this two or three times, it'll be boom, boom, boom. You're just in your mind, see the court, see the judge, there's Jesus, there's the accuser. You sense what the accusation is, you agree with it. Covered under the blood, judge says not guilty, accusers hauled away, and now you have removed whatever legal rights were there. It's that simple. So you get a verdict. What do you do with it? I'm going to give you another illustration. Let's say you have, you're a woman, and you have a very abusive ex-boyfriend. Every time he gets near you, you get in a fight, and he punches you, and, and just verbally, verbally and physically abuses you. So what do you do? Call the police, file a report, go to court, and you get a no-contact order, right? The no-contact order is served to him and he is told, no more contact with her. And you have the, the document from the court that says no contact order. So far, so good. The next day, there's a knock on the door. You look through the little peephole, and it's the guy you have the no contact order against. He's knocking on your door. You open the door and let him in. Hey, I don't want to fight, nothing. I just want to apologize, kiss and make up. Ten minutes later, you get into an argument and he punches you. Why? I have a no contact order. He's not supposed to come near me. You let him in. When you get a no contact order from a court, it's up to you to enforce it. If he comes back, you do not answer the door. You call the police and say, I have this no contact order and he's outside my door. He is in violation of a court order. Come and take him away. The police will come and take him away. He'll go to court and he'll be in jail. Only if you call the police. It's your responsibility. Okay? So let's say you have a spirit of lust, pornography, a familiar spirit, whatever spirit is tormenting and harassing you. And you go to court, you get a decree from court, and you can ask the judge, I want a decree of divorce from that thing. I do not want that thing harassing or touching me. No contact order, call it whatever you want. Tell the judge what you want, and he'll write out an order, and he'll give it to you. You now have a no contact order that says that spirit has no more legal right to harass you. But tomorrow, it comes back. And it starts to mess with your brain, and it starts taking you through the same stuff. What happened? I got a decree from the court. Nothing's changed. Well, first of all, if you haven't actually 
repented. The word metanoia means change your mind, change the way you think. If you have not renewed your mind to the truth, and if you are still entertaining the same sin, the same lies, the same nonsense that the enemy is using against you, when that spirit comes back, it's going to be as if nothing changed. You have to resist the devil and he will flee from you. We have to resist. We have to put up resistance. Resistance means when that thing comes back, you don't entertain the thoughts. You take the thoughts captive, give them to Jesus, right? And you tell that spirit, I'm taking you back to court. And you go back to the court of heaven and you appear in front of the judge and you say, Your Honor, I have a decree against this spirit and he is now tormenting me against the court. He is in contempt of court. And what the judge is going to do is hammer that spirit with more judgment. So two days later, the spirit comes back and is tormenting you again. You go back to court. You, take, you go to the judge. He's in violation. He is in contempt. And the spirit gets hammered again and again. You do that two or three times, and that sucker is not going to come back and torment you anymore. It's very much like a bully. The enemy is a legalist, and he's a bully. He's just trying to intimidate and wear us down. Okay, we have to push back, we have to resist, and we have to go to the judge and say, get rid of this thing. Mike Parsons tells a story about a spirit that was harassing him. Mike took that spirit to court 10 times in one day because it kept coming back. And he said after that 10th time, he never heard from that spirit again. It gave up, it went, bothered somebody else. Enforcing the verdict is our responsibility and it's the place where most people fail. If you're gonna do this, you have to enforce the verdict. You have to resist the enemy and if he comes back, you have to take him back to court. Yes, you can go to the court on behalf of other people. I've done it. I have a friend who just started up a business a tech company. He invested a lot of money in this business. He had a partner who invested a lot of money. They were moving forward. They had some patents on some technology. They had to submit the patents at a certain date or they would, things would not go well for them. Unfortunately, his partner got cold feet and backed out of the deal and would not agree to move forward with the patents. So my friend calls me up. He's freaking out. He says, mate, I need to have this stuff resolved this week. We have to submit patents. Can you pray for me? And I said, I'll do you one better. Can I, take, can I go to the court of heaven on your behalf? He said, yeah. So I went to the court of heaven in my mind, just like I did when I was sick. I saw in my mind, I saw the court, I saw the accuser. Blood of Jesus covers him because my friend is a believer. So he's covered by the blood of Jesus. I asked the judge, um, since he's covered by the blood of Jesus, there's no legal right for this spirit to obstruct his business. I ask for all obstructions to the pro progress of his business to be removed. Judge says not guilty, get a scroll. And then I call my buddy and say, hey, went there. I think everything's going to be good. So later that week, he sends me a text message. Good news. Everything's been removed Everything's moving forward. I submitted the patents on time. Everything's going great. I have heard so many testimonies about legal proceedings in court, business transactions, finances, health, 
You can go there for a bunch of different things. The enemy can obstruct God's will for your life in a lot of different ways. What the court of heaven does is it tells you what the enemy's issue is so you can deal with it. In that sense, it's very much like a word of wisdom. Difference between a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge gives you information, but doesn't tell you what to do with it. A word of wisdom tells you what to do, how to act, what the strategy is. So finding out if there's an accuser can give you a strategy to work with to resolve whatever the enemy's doing. Okay. Going back to Zechariah 3, I'm going to read verse 6. The angel of the Lord spoke to Joshua and said, If you walk in my ways and observe my commands, I will give you authority over my temple and its courts. I will let you walk among those who are standing here. So the Lord told Joshua, basically, you came here as a sinner. I justified you. If you don't want to continue facing that accuser, you need to walk in my ways, observe my commands, right? And if you do, I will give you greater authority because authority can increase and decrease. Unlike power, which everyone has access to, authority only we have access to. Lucifer used to have authority when he was the anointed cherub over the mercy seat. He was a worship leader in heaven. He was a high-ranking angel. Rank means authority. It's just like the army. Private, corporal, sergeant, major, general. Ranks of authority. Heaven has the same thing. We can increase and decrease in our levels of authority. I was reading a book by James Gall, and he was talking about our metron, or our sphere of influence and levels of authority. The night I was reading that book, an angel came into my bedroom and said to me, in the middle of sleep, he just said these words, your level of authority is increasing. And that was the message. I had no idea authority could increase. But here the Lord says to Joshua, I will give you authority to walk in my courts among those who are here in the heavens. Many heavenly courts. And as we learn, become familiar with the courts, we gain authority and responsibility and we'll eventually do higher and greater things. We start walking in governmental authority, working in judicial actions in the court of heavens that affect things on earth, bringing heaven's will to earth. That's where all of this is going. Questions? Yes, ma'am. There are different theories on that. So Robert Henderson wrote a book, Operating in the Courts of Heaven. Henderson is of the opinion that we should always go to the courts of heaven in every case, get heaven's view, get the legal things precedent set in place, and the documents all good to go, and then go and do our warfare. So he has a view that we should always go to the courts of heaven and get the legal issues straightened out and get God's seal of approval on what we're doing. I don't know if that's practical for me. I pray for a lot of people, and 70, 80% of the time, just releasing power will heal them. So I don't know that it's always necessary to go to the courts. I just have a different view. I, I tend to use the courts when something else isn't working. 
try this, try that, try that, try that, and then go to this. Yes, ma'am. I, I'm going to be honest. When it comes to families and generational lines, I do not have a lot of revelation on that. It's just not something the Lord has given me much information on. I have a lot of friends who are very big into cleansing bloodlines, generational curses, removing all that stuff. That's great. They have much more experience and knowledge. I don't know much about that. I very seldom do operate in that sort of thing. Because the Lord just doesn't very often have me doing that. He has me doing other things. So I, unfortunately, I don't know. Sorry. Well, getting back to what she alluded to in the election, how do we have or do we have authority over like a land of people that we are part of, but not all of them are saved? I, you know, I, I would like to know how to pray in a general sense for the, for the nation. Can we take this to the court of heaven and say, what's going on? Why are we... In the okay. Place? I didn't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> but there are many courts and councils in heaven. One of them is what we call the divine council. You can see it in the Sanhedrin council. The Sanhedrin council is modeled after the divine council in heaven. It's a court of elders, saints, angels, the Lord. It's a place where people go and do deliberations. You can see it in various places in the scriptures. It's in Psalm 82. If you are familiar with when Ahab was going to attack, attack Ramoth Gilead, and there's that weird passage where Micaiah says to Ahab, I saw this council, and the Lord asked his, those who were surrounding him, who will go and entice Ahab to fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this, and another said that, and a lying spirit said, I will go and I will entice him. And the Lord said, how are you going to do it? He said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. Okay, that passage, that's the divine council. So there's deliberations going on about how things are going to happen. Now, I, I, got a, I received a testimony from a guy in New Zealand. He sent it to me through my website, and he didn't know I was writing a book on traveling in the Spirit. His testimony is all about going to the Divine Council, first to be an observer, and then his angel said, you're going to observe, and you're, in three days I'm going to come back, take you to the Divine Council, and you're going to submit a, a petition on behalf of two nations. There's going to be deliberations and discussions, and then the Lord is going to make a ruling on it. If you want to be involved in intercession and work for your nations, that is taken care of in the Divine Council. That's my understanding. And that is something that we can be invited to go to, but most people are not quite ready for that. There is an entire chapter in my book on the Divine Council. Does that help? <laughs> because the court of accusation, this, what I've been talking about is the court of accusation, it's really a very low-level court and is specific to personal individuals and accusations against them. It doesn't really deal with bigger things. Yes, sir? Yeah, 
right. So, as a Christian, you go before the Lord on a regular basis, and you ask for forgiveness for things that you're aware of, and so forth. But then you get this inclination that something's not moving, so access the court of accusation. My question is, because I, I agree with all this, because I use it on a regular basis, but my question is, how is it that after you've asked for forgiveness, and after you're walking in a, in a modality of repentance, how is it that the enemy is still there and still has a level of accusation against you? I don't that know. Nuts. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, so, as far as you know, you're you're walking in as as walking in the spirit, right. in love. You're you're not offending people. You're, and the enemy is still God, coming after you. Right. Legal I mean, My guess is there's something in your blind spot that you're just not seeing. Probably, okay. if the enemy has some legal grounds against you. There is something that you don't know about. This, these two women that I, one we talked to last night, she had no idea that she had a family history of people who were involved in the Ku Klux Klan. It had never been talked about in her family. And boom, it just showed up in the court of heaven. So there's, there's, I'm guessing there's probably something you're not aware of. And if you go there, you'll find out what it is. Well, you know, in the case I'm thinking of is, is the enemy accuses you of that, and you think to yourself, well, how is that possible? Because I've already talked to the Lord about this. Why? So that's something you'd actually ask the Lord. I would, I would go to the Lord on that one. He's, a, he's yeah, I don't know. You mean you're not God yet? You can't tell me the answer. Not today. <laughs> what I would like to do, I'm going to be quiet for about five minutes, and, and since half of you look like you need a nap anyway, I'm, I'm going to suggest that you just close your eyes and engage the realm of heaven. If you want to go to the court of accusation and find out if there's an, an accuser there, you can do that. If you want to go meet with Jesus in the river of life, you might do that. Go wherever you want to go, do whatever you want to do, meet whoever you want to meet, and we're just going to give you five minutes quiet time, and then I might ask if anybody saw anything or experienced anything. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about this show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.